0: Hello and welcome to The Breakdown with me, Gabriel Hedegren. This is a podcast with a new format, but that's very much still a part of the Europelex family. In each episode, we will use interviews to dive deep into the most pressing issues and influential electoral stories across European politics. In this episode, we break down the recent Hungarian elections where Prime Minister Viktor Orban's national conservative ruling party, Fidesz, in a coalition with the Conservative Christian Democratic People's Party, secured its fourth straight electoral victory. The 54.2% result is actually a record for the coalition that gained 4.4 percentage points on its 2018 electoral result. It is unbeknownst to no one that in Hungary, power is synonymous with Fidesz. The previously centre-right party, ruled by Viktor Orban for nearly 19 consecutive years, while widely unpopular abroad, the party's nationalist, conservative, and often populist politics has struck a chord with many Hungarians, support used by the party to cement its place within the country's political institutions and gain wide control of the country's media ecosystem. After two consecutive drops in support and growing unity among a wide range of Hungary's opposition parties, many thought the 2022 elections could chip up to be the most difficult ones yet for Orban. The opposition alliance, called United for Hungary, and led by the centrist politician Peter Markizai, was beating Fidesz in opinion polls as late as last year. That turned out to be a blip, however, as in the end, the race wasn't even close, with United for Hungary securing only 34.2% of the votes, almost 20 percentage points behind Fidesz's alliance. Combined, the parties of the coalition lost more than 12 percentage points on the previous elections, leading not only to Orbán's Fidesz but the recently formed far-right party, Our Homeland, that secured just above 6%. Undoubtedly, the Russian War of Aggression Against Ukraine, which was launched at the beginning of the electoral campaign in Hungary, came to shape the process entirely. While United for Hungary would have hoped Orbán's close ties with Putin's regime would work in their favour, Orban skillfully turned the situation in his favor by arguing that the opposition wanted to send Hungarians off to war, securing Orban's fourth consecutive win. I'm very happy to be joined by Flora garam a former foreign affairs reporter for the Hungarian newspaper Nepsava, who has been covering the election for The Guardian before heading off to California, where she is right now. Welcome to the podcast, Flora.
1: Hi, Gabriel. Thank you for having me.
0: So as with most political events in Europe right now, the Hungarian elections cannot be analyzed without taking into account the ongoing war waged by Russia in Ukraine, which is a neighboring country. To what extent do you think it contributed to the strong results for the incumbent government?
1: Uh, The war upended the whole campaign and the political context of the Hungarian elections. So Before February 24, the ruling party, their slogans did not touch on Russia or Ukraine. They mainly focused on ideological issues such as protecting children from LGBT propaganda. But after Russia invaded Ukraine, Orban's message was all about protecting people and keeping the country safe and peaceful. To give you an example, a government billboard all over Hungary read, Let's preserve Hungary's peace and security. And the government's stance is that they won't send lethal weapons to Ukraine. And Orban also refused weapons um, heading to Ukraine to cross Hungarian territory. Um, a strong message that Orban said on the 15th of March. It was that the opposition would walk into a cruel, protracted, and bloody war, and they want to send Hungarian troops to the front line. So he pictured the opposition as pro-war, which was a quite strong message. And if you were looking at the opposition billboards, they said Putin or Europe.
0: Interesting. Do you think this played into Orban's success in the end and that he managed to utilize it in the way he intended?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. This was a really strong message. So if we're looking at any country, a crisis helps the incumbent party. So this helped Orban to win supermajority again.
0: And in terms of changes in the electorate and changes in the result, remarkably, Orban and his alliance led by Fidesz managed to increase their vote share. Who are those new voters that have joined Fidesz?
1: Uh, many, even amongst polling institutes, expected a tighter race. But the idea of that a former far-right party, Jobbik's uh, 2018 voters, would be willing to support the united opposition has failed. The majority of them could have ended up voting for Fidesz or the far-right, our homeland, or Miha Seng in Hungarian. And in the cities that are traditionally considered oppositional, a large number of voters stayed at home. And it also played a role in the opposition's defeat. And the fewer people voted in Budapest and bigger cities than in 2018, looking at the election map of Hungary. Um, but it's interesting to see that in Buda, and it's traditionally upper-class residents, uh, they moved away from Fidesz. Buda. So Budapest was uh, mainly for the opposition this year.
0: So let's talk a bit about the opposition. Orban is obviously very well known around the world for obvious reasons. I think most people have a sense of his political agenda, his style of communicating, but the opposition is much more unclear. This time around, it was a very, very broad coalition with seemingly the one thing that unites them was that they were, you know, against Orban. What's your view on how this opposition should be explained and what the reasons for why it didn't work in the end.
1: Um, Yes, United for Hungary, or Eceba Majdor is a coalition of six opposition parties, including socialists, social democrats, greens, liberals, and even, as I mentioned, the former far-right party, Jópic. They managed to agree on four basic principles, democracy, the rule of law, market economy, and European integration. Peter Malkizani, he said he would restore the rule of law if he wins. And despite the fact that he's a a centrist politician, he promised to delete Orban's anti-LGBT law and introduce same-sex marriage. He said he wanted the Hungary built on love and peace. And he was contrasting himself with Orban's
0: uh, campaigns against minorities. So, in his speech after the defeat, uh, Peter Mark, you say, attributed this alliance's weak result to cheating by Fidesz. He referred to there being no democracy in Hungary. As someone who's been there re- uh, reporting, is Hungary a democracy in your view, especially after this election campaign? Do you think that Orban's victory really was inevitable?
1: Uh, well, as a journalist, I would prefer not to go into my views. What I can say is that according to Freedom House, Hungary is a hybrid regime, meaning that it's a mixed type regime. Uh, Orban also referred to Hungary often as an illiberal democracy, clearly marked out from Western type democracies. Um, and your second question was that if victory was inevitable. Um, this year it was predictable for sure. The imbalanced electoral system and access to resources has definitely helped see this. The opposition was fractured and their communication errors, lack of coordination were all over the ruling party dominated public space. So his victory was definitely predictable.
0: Are you able to outline for listeners some of the specific methods that Orban has used to stack the political system in Hungary to his and Fidesz's favor? And I'm thinking both in terms of anything related specifically to the electoral and political institutions, but also in terms of the media landscape and infrastructure in Hungary that obviously plays a huge role in any electoral campaign.
1: Of course, I would start with the media landscape as someone who worked there for a decade. Uh, first of all, Pilas has effective control of most Hungarian media, state TV. This grip on the broadcast media and the overlap between state and ruling party resources when it comes to advertising budgets reduced the opposition's party's ability to campaign fairly. Just to give you an example from the media, Orban's National Day Address this 15th of March National Day Address, 30 minute long speech, was replayed on public channel M1 nine times the following 24 hours. Um, The main opposition leader, Mark Isoi, received only five minutes of our time on all state broadcast media. We're talking about five minutes in four years. Um, And about the voting laws, um, Orbán's party has changed voting rules since uh, 2010 many times that now favor the strongest party and the strongest party in Hungary is Fidesz, the ruling party. He legalized voter tourism and these built-in advantages like gerrymandering, the single round twin ballot voting system are seen to favor Fidesz.
0: So focusing then on the motivation behind Hungarian voters, because, you know, while this tinkering goes on and this very blatant media control gets worse. Orban has been able to do this largely because there is widespread support for him and his views. Uh, how would you explain to someone not from Hungary or hasn't been in Hungary the background to the support for Orban's style of leadership? And do you think there's any way of his core budging or abandoning him, or do you think he continues to have a very strong base in Hungary um, going forward? Well, the election results do point to that, don't they?
1: Uh, yes. Looking at Hungary's election map, uh, the most obvious answer would be that Fidesz voters live outside of Budapest, but it's more complex than that. And there was this myth about Fidesz supporters that they are coming from lower social classes. Orban has supporting all social strata. And one of the main reasons they voted for Fidesz uh, because they saw a risk of uncertainty in the opposition. Fidesz portrayed themselves the party of peace and the opposition being on the side of the war. And this message resonated with many Hungarian voters. And one thing that the opposition failed to understand, that Hungarians are most worried about social livelihood issues before everything else, like foreign policies or corruption. And they didn't focus on these issues enough in their messages. A very large number of Hungarians deal with everyday living problems, like how they're going to pay rent. Um, and oligarchs, Russia, and Ukraine, and everything else comes after that. The opposition failed to get through um, a message that was other than, oh, we don't want Orban anymore. And because of this, they failed to mobilize their borders.
0: So When looking at how international media have reacted to this and how international politicians have reacted to this, is there anything that you think is being ignored about what's going on in Hungary at the moment?
1: Yes, I think it was a question that I came across many times talking to Western colleagues, how it's possible that Orbán's close relations with Russia didn't backfire after the war started. But it turned out that a large percentage of Hungarians cared more about the economy uh, than foreign policy when it comes to who they're going to cast their vote for.
0: So I guess the next topic of discussion naturally is what now? For any opposition campaign, you know, that fails to win against such a long-term incumbent in any system, you know, it's a huge blow, this, and surely it's going to have to lead to regrouping, uh, what's going to happen to this broad dysfunctional alliance that sort of banded ahead of this one electoral campaign? I, I understand if there's, you can't be too certain about the future because no one can, but what do you predict is going to happen to the opposition? Is it going to splinter, radicalize? What Will there be some learnings from this? Like What are the initial signs of how Uh, anti-Orban politicians and voters as well are are reacting to uh, the outcome?
1: Uh, That's a really good question. I've talked to opposition politicians on election night um, and what they told me that is they still think they should stay together in this opposition, but it was before they found out that Orban um, won with a supermajority. So, I can't predict what's going to happen next, but some opposition politicians posted being sorry about the result and that they failed to understand what voters wanted. And that's a really strong message. If they manage to communicate to voters all across Hungary and if they understand their needs, of course, there is a chance for them to to defeat Orban in the next elections, but if they fail to do that again, I don't think that's a matter of if they're
0: in a united coalition or not. Thank you so much, Flora. That's been really interesting and really helpful. Uh, I'm sure it's been a very uh, intense period for you as a reporter on the ground. So it's very, um, uh, we're very appreciative of of hearing your thoughts following that. So thank you so much for coming on uh, The Breakdown.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to The Breakdown by Europe Alex Podcast. I've been your host today, Gabriel Hedingren. The managing editor was Polychronis Karampelas. The episode was edited by Alex Vigurski. The music was by Jose Alvarado. And as always, everything we do would not be possible without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you so much.